You're listening to the Inspire Excellence Podcast, recorded at the BVA headquarters with your hosts, Bill Whitaker and Tommy Alquist. Bill is the former CEO of the J.R. Simplot Company and is now a full-time adventure seeker and philanthropist. Tommy is the CEO of BVA Development, co-founder of Crush the Curve Idaho, and most importantly, a full-time grandfather. Each episode focuses on sharing the stories of individuals who are changing the world. Welcome back to season three of the Inspire Excellence podcast. We're excited today to be starting our new season and with a new co-host who will be our first guest of this season. Uh, I'm super excited to introduce this dear friend of mine who will be with us uh, co-hosting. Boy, Bill, I don't even know where to start on your intro. I think what people would know most about you is you are probably... And I, and I don't say this lightly, probably as far as the community, the state leadership, business leader, this is the guy that everyone looks to. Uh, secondly, I've never known anyone with a bigger heart, philanthropist, you care, you give back. Your business background is incredible. Former CEO of the Simplot Company. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I'm just excited to, to spend time with you. And on our first episode today, to let the listeners get a little bit, uh, get to know you a little bit. So welcome. Wow. Thank you. I, I never thought about people looking towards me or looking up to me or whatever, <laughs> uh, but I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm really curious about uh, how it all works. Of course, I've been watching your podcast in the past, and uh, now I get to be a victim of your podcast. <laughs> you so, get to be a victim. Right. You get to be a victim. I'm going to jump right in, Bill. Um and I want it. There's so much things to go through with you, uh, Bill. You know, I've watched you lead, and, and we'll get into that. But I've also watched you find some balance in your life, and I really hope we get to that today. Because if there's someone that I think has, and, and for a lot of our listeners, we got a lot of business people out there. They know how to work hard. They know what they want in life. They're 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 going after it as hard as they can. And one of the questions I get all the time is, "What do you? How do you find balance in your life?" And this guy, you have become a world adventure seeker, yeah. philanthropist, you give back, and you're a business person. So I want to get into that. But here's my first question for you. Tell us about growing up, because there's I've never asked you this. Uh, there's got to be some, I know where you grew up, but I want to know a little bit about your parents, your growing up, because somehow there was something that, that, that clicked inside you to make you a leader. You know, um, yeah, and that's a great question. Let me kind of process it just for a second. Uh, listen, you did not send out questions that you were going to ask. No, so, that's not uh, the way this works. We really are winging it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up in Missouri and um, and in a in a very um, middle class family, very loving, um, connected family. I'm the oldest of four boys, and um, and we were. We were very active. You know, I remember I tell my dad that, um, you know, I got my kind of um, quest for travel and curiosity from him because we took um, basically three-week type vacations pretty consistently and, um, you know, like once a year consistently. You know, you kind of grow out of it. But, you know, as far as I was really, really curious about how business works and uh, how agriculture works. I, I'm, I've been an ag guy since I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 14 years old. What did your dad do? So my dad actually left the farm and my dad had, didn't have anything to do with farming with my grandfather. And he was uh, with AT&T 
and, or southwestern Bell, actually. But your grandfather had a farm. Yeah, yeah. What and, did he and, farm? And aunts, uncles, everything. Yeah. They all had farms. Um, I kind of grew up around the edges of farms, and um, and and it was a pretty wonderful world for me to get to go to the farm on the weekend. So, how who was your most influential mentor? Who did you who did you look up to? As a young boy growing up in Missouri, you know, Where did you learn um, your lessons, life lessons? It was well, you know, I think values, principles. Um, uh, I think it really came from my parents, and I and I. There's no doubt about it that at the time I didn't think about it that way. But values, principles, and just overall, this is this is what's important to living, you know, your life. Um, but early on, I got it seemed like everybody that I would connect to business wise and agriculture wise, uh, I, I connected at a point that, um, I, I wanted to know how it worked. I mm -hmm. wanted to know what they were thinking. I wanted to know what the decision process was. I wanted to know where they thought the future was going to be, how they created the future. Uh, and I had a number of them. Um, there was a guy named Jack Runyon that had a, um, he ended up being the secretary of agriculture for the state of Missouri. And I actually, while I was going to college, I actually, um, worked at his feedlot and, um, and ran the sick pen. Um, there was a guy named Roger Thompson that was a next door neighbor that had an, a chemical company. And, uh, and I remember sitting on the back porch of Roger's house and I'm a young guy, just, just kind of, asking tons of questions and I can't believe he didn't run me off. We're still friends today. <laughs> um, Bob Thettinger, um, who I'm a, I'm like 20, two, three, four years old. I'm not sure. And, uh, and he said, come to work for me. And he had a, a company called research seeds. It was purchased by land of lakes. And he said, come in through the land of lakes system. And uh, he's he was really 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 important to my career and and everything and all my decision making uh, kind of came back to a handful of people. Did you know then where no, Bill Whitaker no. would be? I mean, did you did you have a vision for what life would be like or yeah. what, what what your leadership or tell me when when that grabbed hold I, of you? You know, honestly, uh, when I retired from Simplot, one of the things that somebody asked me, they just said, when you came to Simplot 20 years ago or almost 19 years ago, did you um, have, did you come to be the CEO? I said, you know, it wasn't, no, I didn't come. I mm. came to pursue agriculture mm. and I came to pursue being with people that love agriculture and, um, and and it, it it never struck me as being um, an executive in an agricultural company. It always what was always important to me was just to learn and to develop mm. and to create. Um, mm. That was really really important. And and I think the rest of it kind of came along. So way. one of the things as I get older, Bill, I, I and I know just know this to be true. The more you get to know somebody, I think authenticity. Yeah, I agree. It usually just wins out, right? So yeah. what, what I'm hearing from you is authentically you you were curious. You loved the industry. Yeah. You loved the science behind it. You right. loved the people behind it, right? And usually that ends up, you know, taking you where yeah. you're going. Do you have any just 
just some story about JR and becoming CEO of Simplot, JR Simplot Company, and 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 tell us how that how that happened, or, or give us a little flavor into him. A lot of our listeners, I mean, it's been a while now since he. You 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 hear stories from old timers here. JR Simplot was the leader in this valley yeah, for truly, years. Truly. And and you know, we owe as part of our heritage of the state, our heritage of who we are and everything about this place really goes back to that guy. And you had a you had a you know front row seat. Yeah, I really did. You know, it was it was interesting. I always tell people he never called me my name. I mean, he called me everything but my name. And uh, and I, but I think that was pretty common. You know, what was Jr. was a people person. He could relate to people quickly. He'd show up in um, our plants in the middle of the night. Um, he'd run around. Um, I, I'll never forget. Um, I'm at a board meeting one day, and I had some really bad numbers to report. And um, in some place, about halfway through my presentation, they decided to take a break. And during that break, um, and come back out. And so he he walks me out, and we're walking kind of down the hall like we'd be moving towards the restrooms or whatever. And he looked at me, and he grabbed my arm, and he said, "Hey, don't let those guys get you down." That we're going to have some bad years sometimes. <laughs> and I thought that was such a vote of confidence and that was so important. Um, and he, he, and, but he always took time to stop and talk. And so sometimes he'd call me the fertilizer boy. Sometimes he would just call me, Hey, farm boy. Uh, you know, he, it, it'd be anything, but he was an important part of agriculture to, I think more than even Idaho. Oh yeah, I mean it's a right? huge deal, right? What 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 set him apart? I mean, if you look at his background and and where he started, and, yeah, you know, you had so he made some. I've read several books on yeah. him and his story, but what what leadership qualities do you think set him apart? Well, um, there's a there's a phenomenal photo of him, and and I don't even remember where it was taken, and it was a whole group of people from the plant. I mean, I'm talking about a few hundred people, and they're all stacked around um, this one person. But you you immediately are drawn to the one person. Mm -hmm. And not because he was on a podium, not because he was, um, I mean, he was just one of a number of people. And that's, there's some kind of an attraction mm -hmm. that he had with people because I think there's no doubt about it. He was a real deal. There's no doubt about it that he was, um, people would uh, gravitate towards him and he listened. He absolutely heard what people were saying mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. You learned something from him. I, I, I've been around you a lot. You listen really, really well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, so for many of the leaders out there, wherever you may be in your organization, is that natural? Did you learn that over time? Because I, I watch you and, and you usually take it in and then everyone looks to Bill to see what questions you're going to ask because you've processed it. And, and tell, I mean, it's, it's got, that's got to be a quality for anyone out there that's starting a business, growing a business, running a family, running whatever, yeah. being a listener. Talk to us about that. So I have this um, issue years ago with my daughter. My daughter told me, she said, Dad, you just never listen. 
And I said, well, Lindsay, of course I listen. And she says, well, no, you don't because you never change your mind. And, you know, on yeah. the question yeah. that she's asked me or once she, she didn't get the answer she wanted. But, the, you know, I think um, it's kind of the 60-40 rule that, you know, if you listen 60% of the time and, you know, it's not that I want to know what you know. You know, I kind of know what I know, mm -hmm. but I want to know what other people know. And I want to process what other where people are coming from. And I think, I think, generally speaking, for me to spend a lot of time trying to share what I know until I really understand and take inventory of where, you know, where the knowledge is, where the experiences are, where, where the biases are. Um, so I'm fairly careful about it. I've had people say to me that reported to me, I don't know why you asked these questions because you already know the answer. And I said, yeah, but I want to know your answer. Mm. And I think that's pretty important to us. I think that's profound. Yeah. I want to know what you know. Yeah. I want to know your answer. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, no secret here. Right. How to become a, a successful CEO. So you were, you were CEO for years and took Simplot to great, great heights. I mean, Tell us about some of, and I know a little bit about internationally what you did. I think for anyone listening to this in the Treasure Valley, the new headquarters here. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't know what you're going to tell me on this, but tell me what some of the, your most significant, you know, things that you're proud of for your time when you led the JR Simplot company. Well, you know, I, I, I've been asked this before and, um, and, and I, when I look back, um, I mean, we're an old company. We've been a lot been around a long time um and i and i gotta tell you tommy when it comes right down to it uh i think the most fantastic accomplishment that i was able to achieve was put together a team of people mm -hmm. and that team of people that was just spectacular and um, they worked together they partnered with each other they 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 challenged each other and that team was pretty amazing. I also really, really liked working with the Simplot family. Mm. Um, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a privately held company. It's a large privately held company, and uh, but we get to work with a family that owned this large privately held company, mm. and uh, and their long term commitment, not just to the company, but to agriculture, to Idaho. Uh, it's, it's pretty special. I got to work with that and I got to put together a team to work with that. And, um, and I think the biggest accomplishment is putting together the people. Mm. I think it, I think it, it really is that way. I'm not surprised you told us that either. Yeah. I mean, of all the accolades, you could say it was about people, any advice or wisdom you could tell a listener that is building a team. Because we all build teams yeah. and it's not easy. I mean, I was having a conversation with Courtney Lydiard, my partner, a couple of weeks ago. And, he, and I said, how, how often do you think you get it right when you hire someone? Right. And we sat there debating back and forth and we said, hey, it's not 100%. So how do you pick the right people? And what secrets did you have uh, in assembling that team? So you're thinking about firing Courtney is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, you know, um, 
there's a, you know, it's, it's kind of, a, this is a little bit of a trite statement, but um, Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. Yeah. And uh, in Good to Great, it says getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. Yep. And it's really hard. And, um, but it doesn't, you know, and even when you get it figured out and you know when you have the right people or possibly the wrong people, or it might not be the wrong people because they're the, um, they're not talented. It, it, it just may not all come together. Right. And I think the, um, I think it, I think it takes a lot of time and mm -hmm. I think it takes, a, you know, it takes a lot of process to make sure that you get it done right and get it done. And then I think you need to adjust quicker. I'd not, I am not sure that I was ever good at that, that I was ever good at making the adjustments as quickly as I wanted to. And you know, that's I, hard, right? Yeah. It's hard for me. It, it's hard. It's hard to get people yeah. in and say, Hey, this may not be the, the right fit, right. but it's just, it's people and it's hard. How important is vision to you? Like knowing where you're going as the leader of an organization? Yeah. I mean, I think it's huge. I think you got to be able to stake your claim. Um, I think you got to be able to say, um, uh, I think, I think you, yeah, you have to understand it yourself on a personal basis. And, um, and I'm not suggesting that we have to leave Eckhart Tolle alone as far as the, you know, live in the now type stuff. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is, is we really have to create a vision for our, this is where we want to be. This is where we want to be in five years or 10 years. This is how we differentiate ourselves. This is exactly the way that I can imagine the future. Uh, now we will have to build the systems or the processes or just the workarounds to get to that future. I love that. Yeah. We just had a retreat last week. And we did two days. And in the last session, because I wanted to end on it, was where where do we look like in five years? What do we look like in 10 years? Right, right. And I know for us, sometimes we're going so hard day to day that for a lot of our guys, they like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, where do you want to be? Yeah. As well, a company. Right. right. And and I and I and I do believe that if an organization believes in their heart and their minds, that's where we're going. Yeah. That's half the battle of knowing where you're going and, and you believe it. And then you find the workarounds because it's not going to go perfect, right? You're going to have you're going to have struggles. You're going to have trials along the way. Yeah, it's not it's not a straight line. No. I mean, if 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 the world were linear, man, can you even imagine? But it's not that way, and it's not going to be that way. But if we're just going out here blindly, you know, without without a vision for yeah. where we can take things or where what what could this look like? I agree. It's great. Okay, I'm going to shift. This is no pun intended here. I'm going to shift <laughs> gears. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, my goodness. So, uh, I, I love following Bill on social media because your handle on your Instagram is where's Bill. Yeah. You are a world adventurer. You've done things that most people will never do on this planet. And I can't, I keep telling you, I can't wait to read the book or watch the movie. Yeah. But, but you have driven a motorcycle across almost every continent in, in, in I the, still the have world. more to go. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> I still have more. <laughs> uh, and, and so you've been world traveler uh, across countries on your motorcycle. And then during COVID you have literally spent this last year uh, going across the United States, social distancing very well, yeah, mostly ghost really towns. Have. Yeah. Ghost <laughs> but, towns. but talk to me. I'm fascinated to hear 
how you launched into it, how much you love it. And then I really want to, I want to hear about campfires and stars and, and just what wow. you've learned from this. Well, you know, so I think I said earlier that uh, my dad put something in me genetically that, um, you know, travel experience, you know, we camped and we uh, traveled and we traveled as a family um, uh, and it was pretty amazing, but it's never really left me. And so what I did is someplace along the way is I, I started kind of when I probably when I moved to Idaho, which has been over 20 years ago. And uh, I decided there's a whole lot of this world to see, and I didn't want to see it in a, uh, in a four wheel drive. And I, and I, so I do it on a motorcycle and, um, uh, and there's, there's lots of off highway options to go to experience things that, you know, that's really important to me. So I I've kind of, Name kind of, I, I got a little bit of a handle to it. And I'm curious about what happens around the world. And, um, and most of the roads around the world, or an awful lot of them, are not paved roads. There's not, there would not be street signs, and frequently not even hotels or a place to stay. So um, it gets pretty rugged out there. And that really appeals to me. Uh, the more remote, um, that I can be, the happier I am, the more, and, but it, it's ex experiencing my curiosity. Mm. I don't want to just have the curiosity. I really want to experience the curiosity. Mm. And so I've been really fortunate to get to go do this. And even when I was still at Simplot, which was, um, is really hard for me. I remember going in and talking to, um, Scott Simplot and, and a few of my direct reports and such about, Hey, you guys, I'm thinking about being gone for a while. <laughs> and it was really, really hard. And, and this is, a, this came one from, of my favorite stories yeah. is when you did South America. Yeah. Well, that's, that is the, cause South it America was, yeah. Trip. Yeah. I mean, you're going, I mean, you're going on a motorcycle right. across the continent of South America. Well, started in Cartagena, Colombia and ended up in Ushuaia very, yeah. at the very tip. Yeah. And, I but, can only imagine what they're thinking when the CEO is like, hey, yeah, well, I'm going to probably be okay medically. I'm going to probably be okay security-wise. Yeah, well, I didn't even know that, actually. But, you know, what was interesting is the support I had was pretty amazing. And uh, and and I remember um, um, Terry O'Brien, who was the managing director in Australia, he sent me an email about, I don't know, a few weeks into this trip down there. And he said, man, I hear more from you now on this trip than I ever did because I was trying to overcompensate. And yeah. finally I realized there were people that could handle things, but, um, but I, you know, that really got in my blood and it became real important to me because I got to, I got to do things and feel people and circumstances and understand uh, the cultures way beyond riding in a tour bus. Favorite experience, favorite. I mean, I know that's gotta wow. be super hard, but if, if you had to pick one or one of the top experiences, what, what would it be? Well, let's see that gosh, that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, it, it would, Probably, you know, this is pretty amazing. And I got kind of, we got kind of trapped up in Iran 
um, that'd be a year and a half ago. And, um, and they wouldn't let the motorcycles in. So, um, we ended up, uh, leaving the motorcycles in Baku, Azerbaijan. And we decided, heck, we have visas. We're going to fly into Iran. And this was during the time when all the tensions with Iran I mean, couldn't have been any higher. And, uh, and one of my favorite experiences really was in a hotel lobby and um, a Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, he was actually a BBC guy that was contracted with the Wall Street Journal. And he said, you're an American? I said, yes. He said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and there was something about that experience. And, uh, but I think, and, and then we, we had to come out and um, literally, since we couldn't go across Iran, and uh, we, we literally had to, because we we're going to Turkmenistan, and which is one of the most um, um, challenging countries in the world, probably similar to North Korea. Um, and got on an old Russian freighter. I mean, an old Russian freighter and had, I think it was 32 hours on a Russian freighter. And, uh, and I'll never forget the experience and saying, did I really sign up for this Iran thing? <laughs> and now the Russian freighter and now going to, um, one of the most challenging countries in the world, Turkmenistan. And yes, I did. And it's absolutely phenomenal. But I have just dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like that. What what is what is all your travels taught you about humanity? Well, I think, you know, I, th I think it's a huge word. I think it's important. I don't think we use the word humanity enough. Um, uh, but I can tell you... Um, I love the people out here and mm. the people that I get to experience. I mean, whether it's in a, a an old ghost town of Gold Point, Nevada, which if anybody's going through there, you have to stop and experience this ghost town, or whether it's um, um, in some place in Harag, mm. Tajikistan, on the um, on the uh, Afghanistan border. Um, the people are fundamentally good and they're fundamentally committed to being good people. They have the same hopes, dreams. I mean, they may not by the same, they have hopes and dreams for their children, mm. their family. They have cultures that are important to mm. them and they want to protect. Mm. Um, they, you know, I mean, at the same time, it's sometimes it's really hard just to get around clean water. I mean, just to, get past the fact that they have to get, have clean water and food mm. every day. Um, but humanity, um, listen, there's a lot of good people. I, I wanted to experience the Muslim population. Uh, and I rode from Istanbul with some other guys, Istanbul to Xi'an, China, and, um, and went through nine Muslim countries and and i got to experience their homes their mm. life their culture and there's a humanity to all people and uh and there's a different level of all circumstances that we get to experience when we do that so well the good news for all our listeners is this is the guy that's going to be here all all year or maybe even longer with us yeah. as we do these so um I got one more question, then we'll wrap it up and, and uh, looking forward to this year with you, Bill. But um, 
we had a conversation because one of the things I know you love mm. is you camp a lot. And, oh, yeah. and uh, I think you have a connection with the stars, the just our relation to the universe. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's wind up on that. Tell, tell us as someone that has probably viewed those stars in some of the most remote locations around the globe, what that means to you. Well, so, you know, I really like to camp. And then don't get me wrong. There's times <laughs> when I really don't want to camp, but I really like to camp. And uh, I kind of, so just recently, um, we had a small group of us and um, we were in Stanley and we actually were doing a big loop of what we kind of considered the uh, best of Idaho, uh, kind of backcountry Idaho with everything from ghost towns to old mines to beautiful canyons. And we wanted to get someplace to watch the comet this just mm -hmm. a few months ago. And I'll never forget that night. And, uh, and one of the guys was with us, Tim Burke, who has traveled, literally traveled the world. And he's now the operations manager at the, um, Haley airport. And, Tim grabs his camera, jumps on my motorcycle, on, and I still got it. And I, my, my glasses were on there, and I never did find my glasses. But jumps <laughs> on my motorcycle. We pull out the middle of the field, and there's this great picture of the comet and the, the brightest stars I've ever experienced. And, uh, and it was literally a spiritual feeling to be part of that and to have that photo. Mm. Um, even though Tim took it and I didn't, uh, but it was pretty amazing listen the the greatest feeling is when you don't need your tent and you can sleep on the ground mm. and look up at the stars and know that there's a whole universe of connectivity and aren't we mm. pretty small in the big picture we're pretty small wow love so, it thank you thanks thank bill you. i'm glad be, to be a part of this, this is gonna be fun it's gonna be fun so uh that was our first episode of inspire excellence um uh Follow us, Bill. Are you okay if someone may follow? Where's Where's Bill? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a private site, but I listen. I approve everybody. Yeah. I'm not very. I just don't want to have all the commercial so stuff. It's, come it's up. Where's Bill? Where's Bill? Yeah, no apostrophe or anything. Just yeah. Where's Bill yeah. on on Instagram and that that yeah. picture. I challenge anyone listening. Go look at that picture. Is unbelievable. When I saw it, the yeah, first thing you I saw said, the you, picture. Yeah, well, I said, yeah. hey, is this thing real? Because it's like one of the most amazing pictures I've seen. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you. This is gonna be fun. Thank you. Uh, that, that'll do it for our first episode um, of Inspire Excellence. Uh, looking forward to this year. You've been listening to the Inspire Excellence podcast. We hope you've heard something today that will inspire you to make a difference in the world. Join us again for our next episode.